Welcome to Bite Size Battles. In 1943, the Allied war effort of World War II was vast. That year alone saw the massive Soviet victory at Stalingrad and the largest ever tank battle at Kursk. It saw the Allied invasion of Sicily and Italy and it saw mighty carrier fleet actions of the Pacific Theatre, not to mention the bloody battles of the Gilbert and Solomon Islands. These famous engagements cast such long shadows that they shrouded another critical but largely forgotten theatre of the Second World War, the South East Asian war zone of Burma. Burma was part of the British Empire, and when the Japanese invaded in 1942, they initially threw back the British, Burmese and Indian troops guarding it. So calamitous was it that they retreated all the way back to India. The Japanese were masters of jungle warfare, moving with speed and agility to constantly outflank their enemies. Like the Germans in the forests of the Ardennes in 1940, it almost seemed as if the Japanese penetrated terrain that frustrated everyone else at will. It seemed, indeed, that they were invincible. But, of course, they weren't, and British officer Ord Wingate wanted to prove it. Wingate was a pioneer of unconventional guerrilla warfare in Palestine and Abyssinia, and when he was posted to India, he quickly saw an opportunity not only to mimic Japan's successes at jungle fighting, but to beat them at it. He conceived an idea so daring, so innovative, that it took time to convince his superiors it was even worth trying. Instead of assaulting the Japanese on their front, he would sneak small columns of men through the jungle and attack them in their rear, causing confusion and chaos and forcing the Japanese to tie up tens of thousands of troops. Much like the Soviet partisans of Europe's Eastern Front, these new special forces columns would be large enough to deal death blows when needed and small enough to melt away when confronted by anything too big to deal with. It led later to the second largest airborne invasion of the entire war and of engagements that became critical to the eventual Japanese surrender. So welcome to the sixth episode of Secret Warfare, The Chindits. Wingate's new special forces were officially called the Long Range Penetration Group, but that lacked a certain ring to it. So instead, they began calling themselves the Chindits, named after the fearsome, mythical Burmese Chinthi, half eagle, half lion. To Wingate, it symbolised the perfect marriage of air and land forces, and he intended to demonstrate it. Wingate's plan was to train British, Indian and Burmese troops in guerrilla tactics and jungle warfare, and then sneak them through enemy lines where they would ambush Japanese forces, destroy rail links and disrupt supplies. But they'd be spending weeks and months on their own, isolated and without support. 
they would rely entirely on stealth, speed and, crucially, supplies dropped from the air. But relying on air supply was beyond risky. Hermann Göring's Luftwaffe had only recently spectacularly failed to keep the German 6th Army supplied by air when it was surrounded at Stalingrad. And every airdrop would be a dead giveaway to the Chindit's positions to any Japanese hunting them. But Wingate was convinced it could work, and he was eventually given permission to test it out. So, early in 1943, 3,000 men, including Nepalese Gurkhas, marched deep into occupied Burma, sneaking through the Japanese lines before splitting up into columns of around 300 men each. They attacked their first Japanese outposts just two days later. They became experts at laying ambushes and destroyed vital railway links and communications targets. Those rail links were crucial in supplying the Japanese army in the north of Burma, fighting the Chinese, and cutting it caused them huge supply problems. The Japanese high command were caught off guard, thrown into confusion, and wondering where would be struck next. But this first experimental Chindit operation was savaged, not so much by the Japanese, although there was fierce fighting, but really by the climate, disease and starvation. The vital air supply drops were frequently cancelled, shot down or missed their targets, meaning the men had to regularly ration food. And this was in an environment typically around 40 to 45 degrees Celsius, 105 to 113 Fahrenheit. It was constantly wet, sticky and humid, which rotted clothes and packs and any movement through the thick jungle had to be hacked with machetes. All the while, the fear of Japanese ambush was constant and real. In March, Wingate ordered the Chindits to withdraw as the Japanese began amassing two entire divisions to oppose them. But the withdrawal was chaotic, with individual columns forced to make their own way back to India, and often splitting up into multiple small groups. One of these groups was led by a British officer, Dominic Neal. He described what happened one day when he walked into a Japanese trap. We were marching north along a narrow track. I had about two or three Gurkhas ahead of me and the others to my rear. I don't think we'd gone very far out of the village when totally out of the blue, an ambush exploded abruptly to my immediate left. I can remember roaring out to my men, take cover right, before diving for cover myself into the bushes to the right of the track. Things happened very quickly in an ambush. Hundreds of thoughts flashed through the minds of those caught in this way, and all in the briefest of seconds. I remember that I wasn't actually frightened, which surprised me but I was totally and utterly shocked. Never ever during any of my previous training had I been taught any of the approved contact drills. Certainly, the counter-ambush drill was unknown to me. I was utterly appalled to realise that I simply did not know what to do 
in order to extract my men and myself from our present predicament. The Japanese gunner was firing his light machine gun immediately opposite me from the jungle on the far side of the track. He was so close that I could clearly see the smoke rising from his gun's muzzle. His bursts of fire were hitting the trees and bushes above my head, the bullets were cutting the branches and bits of leaf and wood were falling on my pack, my neck and down my shirt collar. There was also rifle fire coming from the enemy to the left and right of the light machine gunner. I think, but I'm not absolutely certain, that another LMG was firing at my men who had been behind me on the track. The ambush didn't last long before the Japanese fled back into the jungle, but these terrifying surprise attacks shredded nerves as well as lives. The Chindits knew they were being tailed. Of the 3,000 men who set out on the first expedition, 818 had either been killed, taken prisoner or died of disease. Of the rest, 600 were deemed in such poor condition that they never returned to active service. The toll on the Chindits had been heavy and the damage caused by them was quickly repaired by the Japanese. But the lessons learned were invaluable. The morale boost refreshing. The sense of Japanese invincibility eroded. And the effect on the Japanese themselves was instant. Like a hornet's nest kicked into fury, the Japanese realised how porous their front lines were and so thrust forward towards India in early 1944. The operation aimed at capturing the major Indian city of Imphal, where the Allies had most of their supplies and from where most communications were sent. Invading India and capturing Imphal would have the added benefit of cutting the Lido Road the Americans were building, connecting India with China so that the Chinese nationalist leader Chiang Kai-shek could be more easily supplied. But the Japanese had been triggered into it by the Chindits, and now the hastily executed plan failed, and failed badly. The Japanese were mauled in the battles of Imphal and Kohima, with 60,000 casualties. The Japanese considered it one of their worst ever defeats, and decimated the strength of their position in Southeast Asia. Now the British and Indians began rolling them back, and Ord Wingate made the case for a new and much bigger Chindit operation. It won Winston Churchill's personal backing, and in the summer of 1944, Wingate sent 20,000 Chindits behind the crumbling Japanese lines by parachute, glider and transport plane. It was the war's second largest airborne operation, second only to Operation Market Garden. Inspired by the Chindits, the Americans launched their own jungle warfare specialists, Merrill's Marauders, named after their commander, Frank Merrill. They were highly successful, winning five key engagements against much larger Japanese forces. Using much improved air supply operations from a now dedicated air group, the American 1st Air Commando, the Chindits set up well-defended airstrips deep inside enemy-held Burma, cut right out of the jungle. 
From these, named Broadway and White City among others, they ranged far and wide, destroying bridges and railways and ambushing Japanese forces before melting away. It was the perfect blend of static and mobile warfare. Quickly though, the Japanese realised where the Chindits were hiding and brought up thousands of troops to overwhelm the defences of Broadway and White City. Here, some of the fiercest fighting of the entire war took place. Many times, ferocious hand-to-hand combat ensued. Often at night, the Japanese would come screaming from the jungle, rifles and machine guns firing, mortar shells arcing down on the defenders until they were right on top of them. Then, katanas, Japanese swords, would be drawn, and by moonlight they would flash in battle against Anglo-Indian bayonets and the famous Gurkha Kukris. Japanese airstrikes flew against the bases too, but now six Spitfires had joined the Chindits and dramatic dogfights erupted in the skies aided by British radar. The defended strongholds acted as blocks on the Japanese supply routes north, and despite the vicious attacks, they held. Still though, the burden on the men was terrible. Water was scarce for one. One of the officers, Gordon Hughes, remembered, there was no water to spare for washing or shaving, so your daily toilet was reduced from a shit shave and shampoo to a shit. Men also began to fall ill, often from dysentery. Column wireless operator George Hill went down with it. This is one of the most debilitating afflictions. It is absolutely essential to answer the call immediately, he said, since there is very little warning of, and even less control over, the impending discharge of very hot, virtually liquid matter, which can be, and usually is, a very painful experience. In the early stages of the problem, I once didn't make it in time and spent that night operating the wireless set standing up. A distinctly awkward procedure. I carried the results of that episode around with me until we arrived back at base some three weeks later. The first opportunity I had to do anything about it. Captain Fredo Lyons, a Merrill's marauder officer, also suffered from dysentery, but every man still had to fight. By now my dysentery was so violent, he said, I was draining blood. Every one of the men was sick from one cause or another. The boys with me weren't in much better shape. A scout moving ahead suddenly held his rifle high in the air. That meant enemy sighted. Then at last we saw them, coming down the railroad four abreast. The gunner crouched low over his tommy gun and tightened down. Then the gun spoke. Down flopped a half-dozen Japs, then another half-dozen. The Japanese columns spewed from their marching formation into the bush. We grabbed up the gun and slid back into the jungle. Sometimes staggering, sometimes running, sometimes dragging. I made it back to camp. I was so sick I didn't care whether the Japs broke through or not. All I wanted was unconsciousness. Eventually the strongholds of Broadway and White City were abandoned, 
but the damage done to the Japanese had been immense. Tragically, Ord Wingate died in an aircraft crash in the mountainous jungles of Burma. Command of the Chindits eventually passed to American General Stilwell, who used them contrary to their training in more direct action roles. For what were light infantry guerrilla specialists, to be used in frontal assaults against heavily fortified Japanese positions was almost criminal. Still, the Chindits remained as pioneers of jungle warfare expertise. The lessons learned, especially those of air supply techniques, were priceless in the continuing war against the Japanese throughout the Asia-Pacific region. The knowledge of how to organise and execute constant, large-scale air supply also helped the Western Allies after the war, when the Soviets shut off all land routes to Berlin in 1948. The US, Britain and France broke that blockade with the Herculean Berlin airlift. It is unquestionable that the Chindits took a very heavy toll, from the fighting itself to hunger and disease. It was common for men to be afflicted with three or more conditions at the same time, including malaria, typhus, jungle sores and, of course, dysentery, to name just a few. But despite the physical and mental suffering, Gordon Hughes still said that the Chindits saw us change from ordinary troops to hardened men who could put our minds and bodies to anything. They were exceptional men fighting in exceptional circumstances against a relentless and remorseless enemy. Their lessons have been passed on to many of the world's modern special forces, particularly, of course, those specialised in jungle warfare. There is no doubt that they helped to shatter the Japanese sense of invincibility, for the Allies, of course, but also for the Japanese themselves. The victory at Chindit triggered Imphal has been described as the Stalingrad or Midway of the Asian theatre, a true turning point in the war against Imperial Japan. With the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Russian invasion of Manchuria, Chinese gains everywhere, American decimation of naval and merchant shipping, and now, thanks in large part to the Chindits, the entire Japanese Southeast Asian front being rolled back, the Japanese found there was no option but to surrender. The Chindits and the whole Burmese front have often been called the Forgotten. This podcast is my own small contribution to changing that, in homage to those brave, groundbreaking special forces. Join us next time for a journey back to the Roman Empire and one of its greatest ever defeats. Just a few years either side of the death of Christ, the Romans had been subjugating many of the Germanic tribes just east of the Rhine, some by treaty, some by force. But the Germans resented the encroachment and the will to resist was building. All they needed was an opportunity, and soon there was someone willing to give them one by betraying Roman trust. In the year 9 AD, three Roman legions would be lured to the Teutoburg forest, and the result would leave the Emperor Augustus butting his head against a wall, screaming. I'm Andrew McKenzie, 
Thanks for listening. See you then.